Hello, and welcome to the Fearless Storyteller Podcast. I'm your host, Ethan Freckleton. Have you ever noticed how fear stops us from creating and sharing our best work? Join the Fearless Storyteller as we explore the heart and soul of writing stories, songs, and scripts that sell with the people who write them. Each guest has their own unique hero's journey and insights into the intersections between limiting beliefs and success. I first heard about Martha Carr two years ago at an independent authors conference. At the time, she struck me as an open book and humble personality with a big story. A one-time Washington Post columnist, she's now a best-selling author making mid-six figures a year writing books she loves. It wasn't always easy for Martha. She struggled to make a living with words for decades. But ever since a life-threatening health crisis in 2009, she's been leaning into being her authentic self and writing her best words. What's her biggest lesson? You'll have to listen to find out. I should probably get that right, considering I've had at least like two. Hi, doggy. Had yeah. at least two meals like on him. Even he won't he correct you. It. He won't correct yeah. you. I've watched people over and over say uh, underlay, underlay, and he never says a word. I, it probably he probably doesn't care one way or the other. But I just thought I, you know, it, maybe it's not nice not to tell you. Yeah. Well, you know, I'll just say it now, Michael Anderley, thank you for the two meals you've bought me so far, even <laughs> if you didn't know that I was there to enjoy them. And Martha Carr, welcome to the Fearless Storyteller podcast. Thank you very much. I'm really happy to be here. Yeah, I'm so happy you said yes. And, you know, I was refreshing on your website and all the hot copy that's amazing and authentic. And I just want to acknowledge you for all the like way you're including your readers and potential readers with these loving, inspirational quotes that tie in with what you're writing. I think that's fantastic. Thank you. Yeah, I do. You know, they say write what you know. And I do think I can always kind of tell something about a writer from reading their books. And mm. so, and I think the readers pick up on that when they read what the fiction I write, that really what I'm saying is um, we're all okay. We're just mm. discovering it in di different layers all the time. Mm. And um, I wrap it up in magic and action and adventure. Mm. Well, that's, that's the way to wrap it. And so for people who are listening who might not know who you are, um, what would you like to say about yourself? Uh, I've been in the publishing game for a little over 30 years. I was published traditionally. I had a national column on politics, mm. which was a lot of fun at the time. And I was read by millions, mostly in small town papers, which was great. And uh, I even took a corporate job for a while uh, after the Great Recession. It was kind of nice to um, have the paycheck that arrives every two weeks. Mm. And um, I also wrote a book about U.S. orphanages and how well they're doing and spent two years living on different orphanages. So it's been a great career. Mm. And now here I am writing about magic. So, you know, it all adds up to a really fun career. That's amazing. And that's such a range and i imagine you get a lot of sense of humanity at its best and worst when you're talking about politics and orphanages you you, know. you get a sense that human beings are all basically the same and that we're all walking around with uh trying to do our best with a maybe a lot of fear at times 
and that there is a solution no matter what. That's what I think I learned really strongly from the different orphanages was there is mm. always a solution. No one is beyond redemption. I mean, I just saw mm. amazing things. And by the way, it turned out to be the best thing that we're doing in America. That's a, a that's a really good secret. And, um, with people who are so patient, but that's another long story for mm. another day. And is that story documented anywhere already? Um, there's a book I wrote called A Place to Call Home that okay. you, I, th I think you can still get on Amazon somewhere. And it, yeah, it's a great, great story. If you, need a, if you need to read about something that will make you feel better about what we're up to mm. and even tell you how you can help if you wanted to. That was the best thing about that book. It wasn't a bestseller at all, but it inspired some people to step in and help in a big way. So what else can you say? Mm. And um, it was really life-changing for me because it really changed the way I look at how I work with people. And that's because um, I, I chose a lot of different orphanages uh, and I made sure that they were all very different from each other. Some had a religious base. Some there was one in Philadelphia that's over 200 years old that won't allow um, religious people on the grounds. So when mm. like when they played football against the Catholic school, the priests had to sit on the wall because their feet couldn't touch the ground. <laughs> and um, ones There's that an were image. yes, I know. And ones that were wealthy and ones that were poor. One that was brand new. You know, the one that was over 200. There's one that predates the U.S at being a country it was under english rule originally and it's still open and functioning in mm. um savannah georgia and because i wanted to make sure i could rule out as many things as possible to figure out why are they succeeding why are they sending more kids on to college than uh from mm. uh the general population how is that mm. possible mm. and the one thing they all had in common was they always met anger with calm always mm. And they kept it up and it didn't matter if it took weeks. Um, and and it, I learned that it takes about on average one to two years for a child to buy in. So a child is searching for the cliff and this is all going to relate back to writers, by the way. Oh uh, yeah. I was going to bring it there if you didn't. But yeah, yeah, no, it, it is. Uh, yeah. So um, a child who's grown up in, in a, in the rough environment or a violent environment or a, an environment where the parents left or were just negligent, their only experience with humans uh, in front of them is uh, that all adults have a breaking point. And so they're going to, so what they're doing is testing you to find the breaking point because they need mm -hmm. to, they mm -hmm. need to know what makes you break. So they are safe. Then they know how far to push it. That's mm -hmm. why they do it. And um, it takes one to two years before they realize, Oh, not everyone's the same. And, um, and then they settle in and I could, I could tell by looking in their eyes who'd been there over two years there was calm they were calmer than most of the friends I had mm. and um, I remember talking to one girl on her she was headed to college and I said where would you be if you hadn't found this place and she said very matter-of-factly which also I appreciated that they had no shame about anything she said oh I'd be in jail for sure mm. and she was headed to college and I talked to a lot of alumni too which is in the book and um, they were leading really nice lives. Nobody was like a superstar. Everybody had a decent life and mm. uh, were happy. Mm -hmm. And I bring that up because I'm actually working on a book this year called um, Indie Writer. And it's just going to be 
what I've learned over the years on how to get out of your own way and how to be happy. And um, I'm doing it because at least from my small vantage point, it mm. seems like uh, for all of us, it's so easy to get caught up in, well, what are they doing? And to lose perspective and to feel badly about yourself when you're doing far better than you even expected to. Mm-hmm. And, or to not, you know, um, Michael has said this a million times and it's such a good thing, to, a reminder. If your books have made you enough above and beyond what you spent on them mm-hmm. to be able to go out to dinner regularly or to be able to buy diapers without sweating it or to make the car payment and feel good about it, that's a success. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you, um, and also when you're looking at someone like Shane Silvers or Mark Dawson, what you're not seeing is how much work goes into what they're doing and how much, um, money it takes to keep the operation going. And, uh, this is a choice they've made that this is what they want to do, but it's not like they're just taking all that money, scooping it up and carrying it home. Right. Right. And so we forget to say, well, what do I want? And instead, you know, I've just seen it happen a lot and it can even freeze you in front of your computer just thinking, I'll never get there. Well, maybe that's not where you wanted to go. Mm. Yeah. Was, that comparison is the death of joy. I've, I've heard it said. Right. Yeah. What is and, perfection is the death of, of good enough. Right. Right. And uh, happiness is a very, very personal definition. And I think that's what those kids learn too, is happiness is, first of all, in a group, uh, we need others, hmm. and it's an inside job with those you choose to trust. Hmm. Hmm. Let's say that again. <laughs> <laughs> happiness is an inside job that is done in a group. It takes a community. It's, it's, I, I haven't seen anyone do it alone. If someone out there writes to you and it turns out to be true, great. But for the vast majority of us, it's done as a community with those we trust. We choose to trust. It's the people you choose to trust. Mm -hmm. If you're among people who you feel insult you or don't make you feel good about yourself, you are not a victim. You chose to be there, which also means you can choose something else. Mm -hmm. So I, I, you know, I'm, I've been doing this podcast weekly since August and I talking to best-selling authors and hit songwriters and screenwriters. And, you know, I keep looking for the unicorn, Martha, the one that did it alone and I'm not finding it. Well, I think and, that's I'm, I, I'm, and I'm hoping like that I can count on you, but now it's sounding like that won't be the case either. Well, and isn't that's good news. Um, yeah, there's, there's actually studies that have been done. There's a documentary called I am. It's a great documentary that has this in there, but all these studies have been done on all kinds of animals, both prey and predator. Mm. And what they found was not what you think, even among predators, it was, there was no alpha. They, they worked as a group mm. and it was, it was group conscience, not alpha leading where they chose to run, what they chose to do. And um, that our DNA, even in humans, is to cooperate. And when we decide to compete, we are actually fighting our own DNA. Mm. So if you find someone who's working alone, I don't know, maybe, you know, something may be amiss. Mm. And um, 
I have a learning disability. I can't see numbers um, very well or sometimes at all. Mm-hmm. And so uh, anyone who's an author who's listening, who's done ads, you know, takes a bit of math. And so that was never going to be my strong suit. So I, I collaborate with Michael Anderley and mm-hmm. which means I share the profits. And some people have said to me, I'd rather keep it all. And I keep thinking, well, one, I keep uh, some of a lot instead of all of a very little. Mm-hmm. And I get to work with a great group of people who also throw in their two cents worth, which also means I do a lot less of the side work because it's shared. And um, there's a sense of community, which right. I like. Right. And I feel like I'm the winner. How am I losing? Yeah, that's, that's amazing. And, just, you know, just to get it out of the way, because I talk about success, right? And full-time authors and, you know, I don't talk about money, but just to get it out of the way, like, what are we talking about here? Like, how does, how, how effective and what's it worth to work together, at least well, for I, I, this company? Well, me alone, my yeah. portion, I'm taking home um, in the six figures and not, not at the bottom, not right. close to the middle. Right. Which I think is good. It's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And if I was uh, far more organized than I am, I'd probably make more. But um, I like a balance. I mean, I live in a um, community that uh, loves to form clubs, craft club, cooking club, which is really eating and drinking club, (laughs) poker club, bunko. If you keep, you know, it just goes on and on. And I'd rather go uh, hang out in a one of those um, one evening rather than trying to squeeze in another book or another marketing tool. Um, because if I'm not doing that, I have to wonder why am I doing any of it? Mm-hmm. So I'm probably not going to be the top earners, um, but not doing badly. No. And um, this is maybe something that's, newer for you I'm, I'm curious you know you had a 30-year writing career and you've got these amazing values and I can tell that you're living in alignment and you found balance and I know for a lot of people that's a hard-fought thing right right and I think it's something too that you have to pay attention to because it can slide away mm. you know you can get caught up in I mean in competition it, I mean, it can always happen. So it's something that I have to just be, I have, I have a crew of people that if, uh, if I come to them with what I think is a great problem, they turn it around into a solution. What's the solution? Or, and sometimes mm. the solution is do nothing. Mm. Yeah. And so that's what I, so I, cho- the people I choose believe in solutions and it doesn't mean that I'll be the one coming up with it you know, that old prayer, that old serenity prayer, um, realizing what you can change, what you can't change, Mm. figuring out the difference between the two. And yeah. And so just to indulge my writer nerd a little bit, I mean, we're all storytellers listening to this aspiring and professional. And so I think all of what we're talking about is relevant because we're talking about people, right. And that, inner journey and lessons. Right. You know, there's these keywords that are coming up and the way you're using them and they're coming up maybe with a little different twist, like 
orphanages, like, right, like the hero's journey, it's classic that there is an orphan and talking about heroes and, and alphas and the concept now that there is no alpha and research shows, right? And, right. And that if there is that lone wolf, maybe there's something up or maybe something wrong with them. Right. Yeah, I don't want to use the word wrong because that the judgment steps in. It's the choice right. that person has made. Yeah. Yeah. And choices. And then, you know, people from the orphanage who learn to trust, they find their calm, right? They find right. that alignment. And you mentioned like, you know, they're doing okay. They're doing all right. Yeah. And so like how does how does any of this translate to writing fiction and stories? that are fantasy and science fiction that often have really huge arcs, right? And like a lot I've of got change. a great answer for that. Cause I've read a lot of different writers works. Mm. And when a writer has a question of self-worth of their own, it shows up in the writing. Mm. And um, there's a lot more explanation. The narrator talks more. It's like they can't get on with it because mm their own search is in there. And by the way, you know, the healthier I got spiritually or, you know, insert whatever word you want to use, um, the cleaner my writing became too. And the, and the faster I got to the point. Mm. And uh, so it shows the, the place where you are shows up in your writing and it gets easier to tell the story you wanted to tell instead of the one you seem to need to tell. Mm. That makes a lot of sense. And tangentially, it came up, my my wife is a counselor and she's amazing. And she's been watching me on my journey and talk about applying the hero's journey to you know, people's stories about themselves. And you know, one of the things she brought up that was challenging and I'm glad she did was that um, the hero's journey isn't necessarily for everyone and it tends to have a patriarchal component to it and not in my books yeah and so i'm curious how like in the 21st century where we're maybe a little more sensitive to this truth and the concept of alignment like how do we write the hero's journey or something i give you an example um, the Lyra Chronicles, the main character is Lyra Barons, a female, mm. and it starts out where her mother's in a psych ward and her grandmother disappeared uh, years ago. And she's in her early, she's in her mid 20s, excuse me, and is a homicide detective and is kind of on her own and doesn't do well at letting others in, even though she's very loyal to the people around her. And uh, she lives behind a bar and the owner of the bar adores her this old woman who smokes incessantly and um her she is she is strong without being bitchy and um and there's still a touch of vulnerability to her that the that based on all the reviews the reader also mm. picked up on and her journey is to learn how to let others in but she never loses the she's more likely to run toward uh, something then away from it and she approaches everything as if there's a solution so you want to root for her first of all mm-hmm. and um uh, i think it's a great example and and um just as many women i mean excuse me just as many men love her as women and um all the main characters generally that i write except for one exception are um 
female and they um they all have those sim kind of similarities to them and people root for them awfully hard because and i think it's because you want somebody by your side who if something came up they're already thinking okay we can fix this and that's that's lois who was born deaf so there's no no use yelling at her she barks occasionally because she feels like it and uh so I th and I think you could have written this character any time because Wonder Woman, uh, Diana Carter, she had a, a boyfriend who was a Air Force pilot, and um, he re respected her, and she did her own thing, mm -hmm. and she flew a plane. So I mean, it was always possible to have a character like that. Um, it's just how many people were actually doing it. And now I see lots and lots of people are doing it. And um, it's great to see. It's there's and also by the way, the main male character Korik, um in the uh, in the Lyra Chronicles, he is just as strong, and he doesn't lose any of his, if you want to say it, masculinity or strength because a strong woman is next to him. Mm -hmm. And there is no real struggle um, because he has a certain kind of patience, but with humor and occasionally irritated but mostly patience um because he's not threatened by her strength mm. so and it's like kind of a healthy non-toxic yeah companion. very funny with a swearing troll by their side oh good everybody yeah. needs a swearing troll so if swearing bothers you you may want to skip that series but, oh okay no but my no. favorite review was a man who said that his doctor told him no exercise and he had attack an attack of angina from laughing too hard oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> and survived he's fine that's good that, yes that's, that's what we want yes <laughs> we don't want to be like you know roll over dying funny from like yes and your book is found on top of them yeah, <laughs> it's like Monty Python. Right. Uh, so, um, you know, it's I don't know how much you like to talk about the past, but was there like um, like a low point in your writing career? Oh yeah, I mean, I you know, if you've done it thirty years, they're good. They're going to be some low points, hmm. and um, well. In the writing career, it was probably the Great Recession. I had this national common politics, but it didn't really pay all that much. Mm. Um, I had a lot of influence. Um, I lived in New York City, for one thing, and the subway stairs, the cement subway stairs at my stop were broken. And I wrote about it one week, and they were fixed the next. It was <laughs> That's power. Yeah, I know. But at the same time, I wasn't making a lot. However, all around me, Friends of mine, some of whom had won big journalism awards, were getting laid off. Newspapers that were still in the black were getting, were being closed. Mm -hmm. And they yeah. were calling me uh, for strength, just for somebody to say it'll be okay. And I didn't tell them, you know, I don't make all that much. It's not like I'm sitting on a pile of money over here. Mm. Um, I, because they didn't need to hear that. They needed to hear someone say, it'll be okay. And um, I also... Uh, did the um, census because they paid uh, I think eighteen fifty an hour and I could walk around my own block mm, yeah. and so that was a low point only because it was a I had done journalism to begin with as a backup mm, because they newspapers that existed since Ben Franklin where were they going who knew mm. 
And my cousin at the time, my cousin is a producer, a TV producer, um, and he is a producer on BET for a black talk show. He is also black. I am not because you can't see me on this interview. But um, I remember, too, I had so much free time on my hands in those days. And he would say he, he kept having uh, needing a panelist for a topic and be short one. And he'd ask me and I can talk on anything, apparently. <laughs> so there are still reruns that run all over the world where you'll see one blonde sitting on this panel with various you. topics. That's you. <laughs> right. All right. So it was a really strange time. Yeah. Mm. And so was there a turning point for your writing yes. career? Yes. Yeah. So I stopped writing for a while. I went and got a corporate job and I took a breath mm. and I said, I'm going to quit pounding my head against the wall. And I'm just going to enjoy life for a while and have friends and leave the job at the job and go home and just be normal or average or whatever, you know, the view I had of it was. And um, one day I saw this email from a meetup group in Austin that this guy named Michael Anderley was giving a talk. And it said that it's this, see, it would have been March and he had been writing since November and was already making, I think, 30000 a month is what it said. And mm -hmm. I just, and in fiction, the key part was in fiction. Right. And not I the backup career, the, the one he wanted. Well, also not nonfiction. Sometimes it happens in nonfiction, but I had never heard of that happening for, especially for an indie in fiction. Because mm. nonfiction, you have a reason for needing the book. So if you have to hit something that everybody loves like the the lady from japan who's managed to get us all to clean out our closets <laughs> right you know you you see oh, okay i get why that happened but fiction so i went to hear if he was legit first of all but i also thought well maybe i'll hear one or two things i can file away and i had this teenager who had asked me to mentor her for a year and i so i brought her along and I'm, it's one of the most watched videos on YouTube. You can still see it. And I'm sitting right by the camera. You can't see me, but I'm right by the camera. And about a third of the way through, I realized that he had noticed something the rest of us had missed mm. and that he was actually onto something. And there were 90 authors in that room. It was just writers and authors. They were all authors. And um, at the end, he said, and, and by the way, there were under... There were about 300 people in 20 books to 50K at the time. I think there's. Yeah, I was one of them. I joined around number 300. Okay. Well, yeah. this was right around that time. And yeah. now there's over 35,000. Yeah, crazy. Yeah. And um, so at the end, he said, I will stay as long as anyone has a question. And I thought, oh, I'll never get up there. <laughs> They'll all rush him. Mm -hmm. And I had this teenager to get home. So I just thought, all right, fine. But walking by me were so many people saying, um, he doesn't know what he's talking about. He's lying and on and on and on streaming out the door. And so I turned around and I saw two older gentlemen. They were the only ones up there. So I said to the young lady, I'll be right back. And I went up there and, uh, just got his number, told him who I was, what I was up to. And in those days he'd give you his phone number. Mm -hmm. I'm sure he won't do that now. Or maybe he will. I don't know. But um, also, out of the three of us, he gave all three of us information. Out of the three of us, I was the only person who stayed in touch. Wow. And so that was the turning point. Um, we 
I kept calling him, kept bugging him. And at one point, I was writing thrillers, by the way, before. And I'd had a bestseller back in 1993 in traditional land. Mm -hmm. But really nothing since then. And I tried publishing some more using his methods, uh, thrillers. There were some famous podcasts with um, Steve um, about how spectacularly I managed to fail at it. (laughs) (laughs) And um, I mean, and and Steve and I are laughing, Stephen Campbell, he and I are laughing through most of the podcast because, you know, what are you going to do? I mean, it didn't go well. Yeah. And I and I also made a lot of obvious mistakes. Now I called a book the list. And I'd always say it like the list, and you know you can't go around to every person looking at Amazon and say it so they'll see it's spooky. And that's a terrible title. What does it mean anyway? <laughs> Michael said to me, "How would you like to write urban fantasy?" And I and here we go back to having a good sense of self, which you were asking about before. Right. So. Um, I made a decision that whatever Michael asked, I would just say yes, because um, I had managed to get accolades and do these great things with my career, but I'd never made a lot of money. And so I felt like, why do I need to contribute to this conversation? Because my methods have not worked. I'll just say yes. Mm -hmm. And so when he said, do you want to write urban fantasy? I read a lot of it. So I said, yes, I would have said yes anyway, but it helped that I've been reading a lot of it. And, um, you know, he would say, "You want? let's do the cover this way. Okay. And instead of having to add my two cents worth to prove I knew something mm-hmm. or point out, hey, I've been doing this 30 years, I decided to mimic him. I even read um, the Crotherian Gambit, um, the first book, so I could mimic his style because mm. clearly somebody liked it. Yeah. Lots clearly. of people Clearly. Clearly. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and I started writing the Lyra Chronicles, which are still selling well, by the way. And that was two and a half years ago. That's cool. Yeah, I know. I guess having a swearing troll and, uh, that troll is famous and an empowered, you know, female character. Yeah. 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 Somebody wants um, those books. My, and my superpower in this world is my wealth of, of knowledge of pop culture. (laughs) Hmm. And uh, I may not remember all the books that I've read that I absolutely loved, of course, but I do remember The Golden Girls. I don't know why that is. It's just what it is. And, they are memorable. <laughs> and um, so, so, yeah, I pack it full of small mentions that I know not an older reader will get and a younger reader will get. Hmm. And, so the, and I, I like to say I write recess. My, my whole point is to, is to take you out of whatever was bothering you, to give you a good laugh, to maybe occasionally pull a heartstring, to, um, to get you to imagine that maybe magic is real and could, could turn up at any moment. Maybe you were magical and just didn't know it. That's all I'm trying to do. Yeah. And so, you know, in fiction, there's that spot where like the, you know, the section where the protagonist resists the call to adventure, right? Like somebody dangles that carrot that they want or need in front of them and they're like, ah, no. And it sounds kind of like that was the moment that you witnessed a lot of people at yes. the Michael Anderley talk. And, yes. And why do you, why do you think like, so that's a great question. Like Michael has made a lot of money and there's a lot of people who've taken his advice and made a lot of money. And so like, why did people walk out to this day? 
I, I see people saying he doesn't know what he's talking about to this day. Yeah. But back then, um, uh, the strongest intention rules. Mm. And uh, that means whatever is driving our bus deep inside of us is really going to manifest whatever it is we want. Even if I said, and in my case, I was saying I, I, I want to make money and I wasn't. And I think in my case, um, my fear of looking like I wasn't intelligent or um, what's the word, experienced in this business um, made me add my two cents worth too often mm. and to doubt what somebody else was telling me, which I think, you know, I can't, I don't know what all 90 of those or of people were thinking, but if fear of something can drive us to away from a good idea. And um, by the way, one of my favorite people that I interviewed for that book on orphanages, mm. he um, was considered like the grandfather of this um, whole method. And the, just the kindest man, he passed away not too long ago. He had this habit that he said he didn't realize until I wrote about it. If somebody came up to him with a good idea, no matter what they looked like, even if they didn't quite look all together there, if it was a positive idea, he listened to them as if they were the only person in the room. And if it was a good idea, he didn't hold committees, he would implement it. Mm. If somebody tried to say, well, the problem with that is he would turn his head away from them and put out his straight arm them with his mm. hand out. Mm -hmm. And uh, I got what he meant. You know, you can kill a lot of good ideas by trying to predict the future by saying yeah. what if, which is a magical question. And so by, by when I, for some reason, got smart enough to say, I'm just going to say yes to whatever Michael says, what I was saying was I will let go of having to predict the future and I will just let the future be whatever it's going to be. Mm. And so my trust level had somehow grown and my desire to look a certain way to other people had gone down and it just opened up possibilities. I became more present. I wasn't mm. living in the future. Like what if this makes me look bad? Who cares? And wow. um, I mean, I have a swearing troll, by the way, in book three, somebody gave me a review where they really took me to task for swearing. And so in book four, I doubled down <laughs> <laughs> and um, the troll um, says aloha, followed by probably something you don't want me saying on your podcast, but you can. Oh, aloha, motherfucker. I knew and it. So a lot of, I have um, a character like this in, 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 in some recent books. Okay. Well, so now a lot of fans, that's how they greet me with a giant smile on their face. <laughs> Aloha, motherfuckers. Oh, they're so happy to say uh, it. And you know, something about Hawaii and, and the beaches in that air, you know, make anybody happy. You know. And the joke was, you know, because the troll, the troll, by the way, learned to swear from Lyra. And somebody at one point asked Lyra, um, do you swear all the time? And she says, only when, I, only when I'm awake. <laughs> and um, so somebody asked her, grandmother about the troll and um why he why he swears going in the door and out and she says you know it's like aloha hello goodbye and that's where the joke started of aloha motherfucker so <laughs> like i said if swearing bothers you those books may not be for you i guess this is a good time to ask like did you ever have that first moment or like a memorable moment where like you were afraid or nervous about what you were about to write on the page 
because of who might see it or how they might see you? Long time ago, long time ago. Um, because I wrote for the Washington Post mm-hmm. and um, what a great thing to be to have done. And that's a big audience. And I was often, I often put my own memories um, into the stories or um, my late father, I would go ask him because he was a great storyteller and always had some weird story that related to whatever the topic was. <laughs> and so I did worry about whether or not I'd get it right. The orphanage book, I worried terribly because they had never been written about in over 60 years. Couldn't find any books on them in the Library of Congress. Wow. And this was pre-internet, uh, really. So there was nothing. And I found out I had to pass all kinds of clearance tests before they'd let me in. So I really did worry that if I screwed it up, it could hurt them. Yeah. And one of the nicest compliments I got was from my old friend who uh, called me to tell me that I got it right. So, you know, boy, can't do better than that. Right. Uh, But over time, I, you know, um, I grew as a person and I, and um, in nine, excuse me, 19, in 2010, I was told I had a year left to live and I was diagnosed with terminal cancer. And uh, that journey cured me of caring what others think. Not because I stopped caring about people, but maybe because I started caring more about me. Mm. And and in the end, it helped me to care more about others because I stopped looking at people so much as, I stopped thinking about myself so much. In other words, I became more comfortable with the universe has my back so I can think of myself just a little less here. And it made it easier to be present. And it changed the way I wrote and I stopped worrying about how will others like this? Mm. You know, that's why, I mean, that woman was really upset in that review she put on book three. And instead of being upset myself, I just laughed and thought, let's double down. Uh, I I thought you were going to say you made made that character. (laughs) Somebody call out to the swearing troll. Hey, watch your mouth. No, not at all. No, No, you just... I, Lyra, Lyra swore more as well in that book because Lyra was the one who started it all. The, the troll learned to speak because of her. Mm. So his first word, that's why the troll's name is Yumfuck Tiberius Troll. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I was talking with another guest a while ago who writes thrillers, but pretty edgy. And, um, you know, their first book, they have a really successful series, but you know, their first book wasn't written as well as they might have wanted. But, but what we found was really because they were decisively themselves and already amped up to 10 on whatever they were going to do, like they weeded out all the wrong readers. Yeah. Right. And There's so, that too. Yes. And so you just see like the reviews on the books just go up and up as the series goes on. Yeah. That's all that's left are the people who just love it. And um, that is, yes, and you don't have to worry about uh, turning off too many readers, because I don't know if it's entirely true, but they're always saying that um, J.K. Rowling has 1% of the market. Mm, Which is a large market then, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I have a much smaller portion, and I'm doing fine. And so you can alienate all the ones who aren't going to like you anyway, and you're still going to do well. And it goes right back to choosing who you surround yourself with. Mm. You're doing it again, just in a larger area by writing exactly what you wanted to write. Now, if you don't write to market, which is more than fine, you probably will sell less 
because there's a smaller group that's really interested in what you're doing. Mm-hmm. And by the way, writing to market only means writing to the majority. Right. And I can tell you have there's more. There's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. I can tell you have more thoughts on that maybe because you guys have been selling a lot of books. I mean, it's not like you guys are writing books that are the same as everyone else's books in the categories you're in. Right. No. And, um, and I try to even on, like there's a new series coming out, the adventures of Maggie Parker. And I try, I, I changed up the magic uh, a lot um, so that it wasn't the same old throw a fireball. Mm. And um, some early readers um, have really dug the changes I've made. So, yeah, but it still has the theme of a strong female character, although I made her a little more uh, not as clever as Lyra at all. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, I, the magic, yeah, we, I, we do write a lot of books, but the tropes are the same for us. We know that our the group of people we're writing for they um, are looking for escape, so they really don't like angst that goes on and on. Mm. Um, they want the bad guy to get what's coming to them, but frankly, often the bad guy's even redeemed in the end. Sometimes mm. they die, but whatever. And um, they want their heroes to be heroes. Um, and so we stick to things like that. And there's a lot of readers who just need that right now to make the world a little less complicated yeah nothing wrong with that yeah there's nothing wrong with that for sure um and i like i like how your characters allow readers to maybe see themselves yeah in in the story and so what do you think your why is at this point my why i'm doing it yeah I am, well, I, I walked into the Philadelphia library at five years old as a pretty poor kid and was shocked that you could care. My dad's rule was you can carry, you can check out as many books as you can carry. And to find out that you could do this thing and read them and bring them back and do it again and again and again was shocking to me because I was used to very limited. You can only have one, maybe none. And uh, books really do open up the world. You find out, you know, your perspective just changes. And um, so I was going to be a writer no matter what. And throughout all the years, um, I didn't have a lot of family support for being a writer and it never stopped me for a second. Mm. And so the why is buried deep inside of me. Um, It's the way I speak it's um, it's a place I go to, um, and I apparently have something other people want to read. And, you know, people laugh a lot and um, get excited over the adventure, but they're also catching on that I'm saying, you're all okay. We're all okay. Uh, we can, we'll still get confused at times. We will um, not take the help that's offered when we mm-hmm. should. We'll yeah. make all kinds of mistakes. We may even hurt each other at times but we'll come back together and it'll be okay. Mm. And um, they like that a lot. That's cool. And in, yeah, on my Facebook fan group too, you'll notice it's very kind. There are not the memes that are kind of poke fun at things. 
and people talk about the painting exhibit they just did or the struggle they're having and how and the solution they're trying other people will offer solutions and it's a different atmosphere which i really love cool it sounds like maybe it's a little more than a fan group yeah um, right and so i was noticing on your website you've got this thing called the p the p brain society. society yeah in the maggie parker adventures and I really, are, I really like what you're saying there because it looks like you're trying to build a different kind of community with that. Yes, I am. I am. Um, yes, and I'm trying to do the same thing again where all I'm trying to say is we do things better in community. Um, community is all around you. Choose carefully. Be kind to anybody. There's no need to be upset at the person who can't be kind back to you. You can let that go. Mm. But um, who you choose to um, hear your story, to walk alongside you, to cheer you on, who you are cheering on, um, just choose the people who um, are, are doing their best to believe in a solution too. Yeah. yeah so there's a lot of things, but I saw you had the, uh, <laughs> the noun definition for pea brain. Yes. Right. A human being who discovers how much magic has been inside them all along. Ordinary people are magical after all. I, yes. Yeah. Pea brains are in the adventures of Maggie Parker. And that's where that, yes. Yeah. And um, in urban fantasy, often the human beings are the least magical characters. Right. They're often also background as opposed to main characters or right. side. Yeah. So that's what I was saying where I was trying to mix it up a bit in the adventures of Maggie Parker, the humans have a brain, a, another tiny brain at the base of the skull called, and it's the size of a pea. And sometimes it turns on, don't know why. And some of them become magical and yeah, they're, they're lovingly called pea brains. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's brilliant on a number of levels. And, uh, and I like that it, kind of speaks to what we were talking about at the beginning around the hero's journey, right? And like, like how you don't have to be a hero necessarily to be special. You know, yes. As as, yeah. Yeah. No, you are special. The, the idea you, so the self-worth that we're born with is the same. It's static. You can't get more. You can't lose what you have. Hmm. You can make poor choices that impact your life, but your self-worth did not change. So that question's answered. And there's no need to go out on a journey for that. It's a, it is a waste of very precious time. And mm. instead, you can try out different choices. I mean, I went to buy a couch once and made an impulse buy of a very expensive bench, then stuffed a lot of pillows on it, made everyone who came in sit on it so I could say, it's comfortable, right? <laughs> and it took me about a couple of weeks to admit that it's a bench. <laughs> and uh, give it away and go buy a couch. So, you know, you will make decisions that you will, that you won't like. And you'll say, you know, when you're going for a couch, just buy a couch, but it's, that's okay too. That's the only way you learn. I, yeah. um, I tried a few books self-publishing, um, on my own without Michael this year mm. with his encouragement and it didn't go well because surprise, surprise, I can't do math well. Yeah. And what I learned it, and also I had no fun at it. It was exhausting. It, um, I was stressed out more. And I didn't like it. So, mm. you know, stop doing that. Yeah, well, do it works. And I, that brings me into one of my final questions, right, is 
And so for people who are maybe a little revved up and feeling empowered and excited about this idea of writing or taking it more seriously or whatever their dream is that they that they've been putting on hold right maybe they reach out they find those resources like those conferences there was the 20 books to 50k conference recently and i know that like that's simultaneously exciting when you get access to all this information about how things work and strategies and tactics and meeting people and getting jazzed up and there's a lot of maybe implied shoulds or recommendations and they don't maybe always swim in the same direction. So like, how do you go to like your first conference or take all this in and survive with some happiness and clarity? Right. So um, something like the 20 books conference is fantastic and it's a fire hose of information. Mm. And, um, and one of the best aspects of the conference are the friendships you'll make. So if you can go with that attitude that you, you, We'll go to some of this talks. You won't be able to get to all of them. You'll meet some of the people. You won't be able to meet all of them. And then make a list of the things that really lit you up the most mm. and um, get some more, gather more information on those. So you get a really good idea of how much time needs to be devoted, how naturally skilled am I at this already, and how expensive is it? Mm. And then um, make choices. It's kind of like buying a car. You don't just run out there and buy a Mercedes because, ooh, look, everyone else has one. You know that you're going to have to research and you're going to have to go by your budget and your needs. And yeah. so start from there and try and make some good um, friendships. I, when I first met Michael, I also, it was like this first wave of people into 20 books. And so the people I started with, it feels like we kind of grew up together in 20 books. Mm-hmm. And I'm still in touch with them. And uh, none of us are doing the same thing. And we're all in urban fantasy. And mm-hmm. we just keep in touch with how are you doing, kind of like a touchstone. And um, we can bounce, the, you know, this new shiny thing we found to grow our business. We can bounce it off of them and they can ask reasonable questions that will either enhance it or point out the giant hole or um, or want to do it with us. But that's how I would, and also when you're looking at that list and your budget and your time, also remember to ask yourself, when I started this, what did I want to do? And is that the same thing? Keep asking, mm-hmm. what do I want? So, because that is the most powerful question you can ask. Yeah. Yeah. And so what do you want to do? That's so glad you asked that because um, so this year for me was really, I was constantly asking myself that because, you know, for so long I was trying to get to a place where I was finally earning a decent living at this and suddenly I was doing better than that and I'd never been there before. So I had to get used to it Mm. and um, I bought the dream house, but once the dust settled, um, I found I didn't really know the answer to that. And it's taken me a year to understand that I really like where I'm at. And mm. I don't feel the desire to grow and grow and grow. Mm. Um, I really want to keep writing great stories with Michael. And I'm pretty happy with that. Yeah. So, it, so it's working for you. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I feel like I'm at the top of my mountain. I know everybody says, you know, they're climbing their own mountain. I keep thinking, well, I'm kind of there. I just want to, mm. you know, I just would prefer to stand here and look around. Yeah. 
Yeah. I'm having a good time. Yeah. And maybe, maybe that ties in with philosophies around being present, right? Like, right. Like you, yeah, have, a, you have a quote, you have a quote, right? Like, the journey is now it's here. It's unfolding. It's not up ahead. Okay. Yeah. Des- destination living. I used to love to do that. When I get here, mm-hmm. then I will be. And, um, I, I often got the thing too. And the joy f- would last maybe two weeks tops. And then mm-hmm. that emptiness would come back and I wasn't catching on that um, I was trying to define happiness by acquiring instead mm. of just in, happiness is a state of being, right? not a state of doing. Yeah, I'd agree. And so for people who are excited about what you're saying or excited about the stories you, you brought up, um, any of those books, how can people find you? The two best ways are at marthacarr.com and join the newsletter because then you'll stay in touch with me. Mm. And uh, the other one is to go to my Facebook group, Martha Carr uh, fan group on Facebook because uh, there you can also join in and chat and meet a lot of other great people. Um, and also um, I travel to different cities and do lunches, you know, where anybody who's in, around that area wants to come and I buy lunch. Cool. Yeah. And that's the best way. And like I said, I'm working on a, um, people kept saying to me um, that I should write a book about all this based on when I would speak at at, um, 20 books. I tend to talk more about the journey instead of how to make more money. Right. Because I feel like others do a better job of the nuts and bolts. Mm. And so people have asked me over and over, can you please write something about that? And I understand that too. I have my favorites like Brene Brown that I carry around. I just need to read it occasionally to kind of reset the brain. Mm-hmm. So I'm working on that this year ju- just to give back, nice. give service. Yeah. Nice. Well, that's exciting. We'll look forward to that. And we'll hear about that on your newsletter and Facebook group. Absolutely. Awesome. Well, Martha Carr, it's been a pleasure having you. Thank you very much for having me on. This has been a joy. I don't get asked this deeply, this type of question very often. I hope you've enjoyed today's episode of The Fearless Storyteller. As a reminder, any and all links can be found in the show notes. And if you're enjoying this podcast, will you please consider leaving a review? By doing so, you'll be helping new listeners discover The Fearless Storyteller podcast.